Uh, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You can turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll pick it up in verse 14 in just a minute. We are uh, finishing up our series uh, called Essentials this week. And uh, so we've been walking through, if you want to look right over here, it says love Jesus, his story, his people, his rule. And then you look right over here, it says live outward. We give, we serve, we speak. We're on speak uh, this week. And the reason why we've been walking through this is because this is really what we believe uh, God has led us as elders to communicate to his church here about where we, where we need to grow. What are the areas that we need to grow in? It, and basically, what we're calling it the essentials because these are the essential pieces of what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. I said last week that we, as we started the church, we were really focused on living outward. And, and that is a, a really good thing, uh, but sometimes to the d- detriment of what our internal, lif- uh, uh, internal life looked like. And that was, how do we love Jesus? And so we spent the first half of this series talking about how we love Jesus better and what that looks like in our life. And so we've been going on to all of these uh, three other things, which really are guilt-inducing things to talk about. Like when we talk about like giving, like uh, most of us would probably say at some point in our life, or maybe currently, we say, I'm not giving what I should be giving. And so we're guilt-ridden over that. And then, like, I'm not serving the way that I should be serving. And so we're, we have guilt over that. And every time Pastor Matt gets up and he says, hey, we have a great opportunity, which is another way of saying things really suck back in the kids' area. You should help out or uh, security or whatever. And then I feel guilty because I don't help out with that. That's not really the way that things are right now. But uh, in any case, you can feel guilty about that. But then especially... When we're talking about speaking the gospel, we can feel especially guilty about that. Because most of us, if we were honest, we would say, like, I, I think I had an opportunity to share the gospel with somebody, and I didn't do it. Or we might say, I didn't know how. We might say, I, I don't know how to do it. Or we might say, I don't want to do it. Uh, or we might say, I, I feel fearful that if I share my beliefs that someone's going to tie me to uh, the Republican Party and, I, and then all of a sudden everyone's going to peg me as that. And if I talk about Jesus or whatever, it's just going to look bad for me. So we have all these reasons why, why, we don't, why we don't talk about the gospel, why we don't share our faith with others. And i got to tell you that I don't blame you. I don't blame you. I don't blame you because in today's world right here and right now, there is just so much that is against us in some respects. Now, we don't live in a country where they're going to cut your head off or torture you or something, uh, but we, they may castigate you. You may, be, uh, you may get fired. Uh, you may lose friends. You may uh, have a bad time because you are a believer in Jesus Christ and you shared your faith. And people will extend from that. Well, that well, that means that you believe this about this situation. That means that you believe this about this situation. And sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong. But we just don't want to be pegged that way. But let me just tell you that this morning is not about uh, inducing guilt into your life. It's not about uh, causing you to feel guilty about whether you share your faith or whether you don't share your faith. Today is about talking about what is the motivation behind, uh, what, what should be in our life, why it isn't there, and how we can change it. What should be in our life, why it isn't there, and how we can change it. So first of all, I want to talk to you about what should be in our life. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And in this passage, the Apostle Paul is trying to say 
that he is uh, not motivated by, by commendation from people. He's not motivated by what people think about him. He's not motivated in his ministry uh, by anything else other than what he's going to talk about. And he's trying to communicate this to the church in Corinth. And he's saying, I'm not motivated the way that those people are motivated. I'm not, I'm not doing the things that they say that they're doing. I want to tell you what my motivation is. And I want to commend to you all here this morning, and even to myself, that this should also be our motivation. Look at this, verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Stop right there for a second. The love of Christ controls us. The Apostle Paul is talking about his ministry, and he's saying, what is uh, the, the, the factor, the motivating factor uh, behind his ministry? And he says this word, which is controls, and what it, some uh, uh, translations use the word constrain. Uh, some use the word compel. But ultimately what it means is it means this. It means motivate. For the love of Christ motivates us. The love of Christ, when the Apostle Paul reduces down everything that he's doing, he's saying this, like the love of Christ for me, my love for Christ, it is what is motivating me to do what God has called me to do. Now, what I just said earlier in the sermon was this, is that early on in our church, we're really focused on the idea of living outward, but we were not as focused on the idea, not that we didn't tell people to love Jesus, but we were not as focused as we should have been on loving Jesus or the love of Jesus for me. We didn't communicate that. Sometimes we'd, we'd use guilt to say, you should be living outward, live outward, live outward, live outward. And yet many people might feel this way or may have felt this way. And that is that like, you know, I, I kind of want to. I want to because I feel guilty. Uh, but, but really, there was not a motivating factor. There was not a true motivation behind what they were doing, what we were doing at times. But the Apostle Paul says, like the motivating factor behind his ministry is the love of Christ that Christ has for him. It could also mean his love for Christ we talked last week about this, and that is that oftentimes we think, do I love Christ enough to give, serve, or speak? And the truth of the matter is that what we must focus on is, is not absolutely our love for Christ, but first of all, His love for me. His incredible love for me. Now, I'm going to come back to that in a bit here. He says, because we've concluded this, that one has died for all. One has died in the place of everyone else. Therefore, all have died. The Apostle Paul says that the love of Christ is motivating him because he believes this very simple statement about the gospel, and that is that Jesus died in place of me, and not just me, but for everyone who would believe. And so, therefore, everyone has has died in essence, if they put their faith in Jesus Christ, their death has come to fruition in Jesus Christ. The death that they deserve. The death that I deserve. Men and women, you cannot have a love for Christ that is true and abiding unless there's first this idea, this reality that I deserve death. I deserve death for my sin. If you don't have that, 
You don't have anything. I deserve to be lost forever. I deserve eternal punishment. I deserve that in my life. And if I don't have that, that's step one of the gospel. I have sinned against God to such a degree that I deserve death. And the Apostle Paul is motivated by the death of Christ in his place. Let me ask you this. Are you motivated by the death of Christ in your place? If we're honest, that is hard. That is hard to conceptualize, especially for those of us that have been in the church for years and years, to somehow grow in this love for Christ, for what he's done for us. How do we get to that point? How do we get to that place? We'll keep reading here. He says, and he died for all. He died in the place of everyone, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So the Apostle Paul says, I'm motivated by the love of Christ. I see it in the reality of that Jesus Christ died for all. And I see that as the motivating factor in my ministry that he didn't just die for all so that we could just be comfortable here. So that we could just go to church on Sundays. So that we could just have a new group of friends. So that we could, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Have a great children's ministry. Do things on Thanksgiving like THX. He didn't die for all just, just for that. He died that those who live might no longer live for themselves. So here's the issue. And that is that when the love of Christ isn't compelling you, isn't motivating your life, ultimately the only other option is to live for yourself. And I have to tell you that daily... I find myself in that place where I live for myself. Daily, I find myself in a situation where I, am, I need to rethink what my motivation is in life. I need to rethink how I'm living with my family. It starts in my home. It's what my kids see. It's what my wife sees when I'm living for myself. It is obvious but every single one of us has this tendency to live for ourselves. But the Apostle Paul says that when the love of Christ is compelling you, when you see the gospel as the biggest thing that you need, that what it brings about in your life is the reality that I am no longer going to live for myself. It takes away a selfishness that we inherently have because of sin. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. We live for the sake of Christ. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, according to a human point of view. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Now, what's he saying right there? It seems like uh, a, a left turn here. But what's he saying? He's saying, the way that we come into this world is that we see everyone from a human point of view. And we just look at life from a human point of view. And we look at life in, in, in such a way that says, what can I get from the other, other people in my life? You may be the most giving person in the world, but ultimately, the reason why we give is so that we get. So that we get the recognition for giving. So that we feel better about ourselves. It's still motivated by self. It's still motivated by a desire to be seen as giving or merciful or what have you. 
And so he's saying, so from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. We're not looking at people with this human point of view any longer. We're looking at them from a spiritual point of view, the way that God sees them. And he says, we even regarded Christ according to the flesh. He was just a man. He had a good ministry. He, uh, he was a good teacher. He was all of these things. The Apostle Paul thought that he was some type of cult, and it was his responsibility to kill Jesus' followers. And so Paul says, even I viewed Christ this way. So we don't view people in this respect any longer. And let me just tell you this. The reason why you would not speak the gospel to someone else is because you have only a human view of people. You only have a here and now view of people. You only have a view of what can I get out of this. There's, there's just a view to yourself and what, and what you gain out of these things. Which is why we wouldn't speak because I will gain nothing. In fact, I will lose something. I might lose their respect. I might lose their friendship. I might lose this relationship. I might lose my job. I might lose all kinds of things. I might sound like an idiot. In fact, I'll tell you this. If you decide to share the gospel with people, you're going to sound like an idiot. I'm going to sound like an idiot. I do all the time. I got to tell you, there's so many times I get into the middle of sharing the gospel with somebody, and I'm like, I am such a moron right now. Like, this is, this is, this is the worst gospel presentation. And then sometimes somebody goes, Man, I've never heard it like that before. And I'm like, really? Because <laughs> that was my worst. That was my worst. We don't do things because we're, view, we're not speaking the gospel. We're not taking the risk because we're viewing people according to the flesh. Verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. This is the promise of the gospel. The promise of the gospel is not just that they would be moral people or that their problems would go away. Now, those things can and should happen on some level. It doesn't mean that problems, suffering will go away. In fact, suffering might increase when someone becomes a Christian. They might lose a, a marriage. They might lose a relationship. They might lose their job. But it's not just that we want to see them uh, become more moral people. It is because of this. The promise of the gospel is if anyone is in Christ, if I have relationship with Christ, if I find out that Christ loves me and that means something to me, if I find out that Christ, is, that Jesus is the Christ, I should say, if I find that out about him, then what, and I put my faith in him, the possibility is not just a change in religion, it's a change of everything. It's a, it's a whole new person. It's a new creation. Men and women, do you realize that when somebody comes to faith, that they are a new creation, that there are new possibilities in their life, that there are new things that they get to see, that there are uh, new ways that they uh, get to operate within their life? They're a new creation. There's the possibility of complete change. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. They're changed. When we look at them from a human point of view, we're essentially saying, you know, they don't want to believe. They don't want to know about this. I don't want to risk it. I'm not going to get anything out of it. And Paul says there's great reason to share. All this is from God, verse 18. All of this is from God. Let me just stop right there for a second. Like this great benefit 
of becoming a new creation. The, the idea that my life would change is not just because Jesus is so merciful and he's like, hang on, Father, uh, don't be so angry with them. No, it's from God. Jesus isn't having to hold God back. It's God's idea along with Jesus and uh, the Holy Spirit. It is All of them are God. It is the Trinity. I should be careful how I'm speaking right now. But the, the Trinitarian idea of, of salvation and sending the Son. And so all of this is from God. God, in His graciousness, it says, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ... God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of re reconciliation. Every bit of this is from God. The Apostle Paul says that this is the way that it works. This is what's motivating us. This is what's propelling us towards doing ministry with us, with you. This is what's driving us to be a part of your lives. It is not what other people would say about us, it is not uh, what we get out of it. It is the possibility of a new creation. It is the grace of God through Jesus that reconciles us. He takes us from not being friends with God and actually being enemies with Him to being friends. That's what reconciliation is. He reconciles us to Himself. And it's not just that he reconciles us to himself, it's that he reconciles us to himself and he gives us a ministry to do. It is that when all of this is true about me, when my love for Jesus and Jesus' love for me is really shown in my life and I can feel it and I can sense it and I can know it, then what happens is this, I'm driven to bring the ministry of reconciliation to other people. You cannot be driven by guilt. It will never work. Your gospel presentation will always, always, always be weak. He brings us this ministry of reconciliation, and he gives it to us, and he says, what I want you to do is I want you to take this message to others. What flows out of the Christian life, then, is this is that it, there, there becomes an amazing desire to see other people be reconciled to God. Do you have a desire to see others reconciled to God? Or are you stuck in American Christianity, American consumeristic Christianity, where you go from church to church to church looking for the best program, looking for the best way for that church to serve you, or are you about the ministry of reconciliation? Men and women, we are here as a church to show people that Jesus Christ has reconciled us through the cross, and we get to have that ministry of reconciliation. It should be inherent in who we are. So we have to ask ourselves, if it's not there, why isn't it? If it's not a part of our life, why isn't that there? So he says this, verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. It's 
it's not as though, like, I mean, God can do this. I believe that God gives dreams to people about faith. I know somebody that claims to have had this. A dream about the gospel from God. I believe it came from God. It, but it's not as though God does that in every circumstance. God is using us, and he has specifically put us on this earth to make disciples, to bring about the ministry of reconciliation in people's lives and to show them what God offers them through Jesus Christ. And he says, you're my ambassadors. God making his appeal through us. And then he switches and he says, and it's basically like he's saying, this is what we say to everyone. We're passionate about this. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Can you go out into your business? Can you go out to your work environment? Can you go into your relationships and say with passion, I implore you, my friend, be reconciled to God. God is offering this to you. Can we say that? And then there's this great verse, verse 21. For our sake, he made him, that is Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus became sin, even though he had never sinned. He takes our sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the, uh, we might become the righteousness of God. This is the message of the gospel. This is what makes us right with God. The first thing that has to happen is you and I have to look at our lives and say, where is my motivation? If I'm not excited about telling people about Jesus, if I'm not thinking about my friendships and I'm just going, doggone it, I wish they knew Jesus. If I'm not, if, if I'm not in with my friendships, with the people that I know, and thinking to myself, man, I want to share with them, I'm just not sure how. If I'm not there, the question is, where is your motivation? And sometimes we just need to do some digging. We just need to find out, like, what, why am I not motivated to share Christ with people? Why am I not motivated? I remember as, as, a, as a kid growing up in the church, even though I knew the gospel, as I went later on in life, my faith had not necessarily become my own yet. And I, the only thing that I could think of as I was talking with people and I would, and I would have conversations with them and I, and I would contemplate on a regular basis, like, how would I share the gospel with this person? I remember thinking to myself, like, the best thing that I feel like I could say to them is, is just say, God loves you. Man, God loves you. That kind of thing. And, and then I would say to them, I have this conversation, like, well, why do they care if God loves them? Like, why is that incredible news? Why, why should they even respond to my weak speaking of the gospel? Just in, in those terms, like, God loves you. God loves And I just, I couldn't quite put it together, and it's because of something else. So the first thing I said was, uh, what should be? We should be motivated by the love of Christ to be 
people who are bringing the message of reconciliation because Jesus has done this for us. And so we get to do that for other people. So the second thing is, why isn't it there? Why isn't it there? Go to Romans 1. Romans 1, 16 and following. Why isn't this there? Romans 1, 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the the righteous shall live by faith. The Apostle Paul like reduces the gospel down to, to this. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then he talks about this righteousness. That comes to us. Same thing that he was saying in in 2 Corinthians and really everywhere else. He's talking about this righteousness. So that's a statement of the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of it because that's what God has done. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, a, a lot of times in Christian circles, we can talk about the love of God... But what we don't talk about is we don't talk about the wrath of God. We can talk about how much God loves us, but we don't necessarily pay attention to what the bad news is. We can talk about the good news of the gospel, but we don't talk about the bad news very much. Romans 1 speaks to us something, and and it's saying this. The gospel is the power of salvation. And why do I need to be saved? Because, Paul says in verse 18, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, that is, from God, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. The Apostle Paul is saying, we need the gospel because God has wrath, and he has wrath towards unrighteousness. He has wrath towards sinfulness. He has wrath towards these things. Now, this isn't fire and brimstone. This is just teaching the word of God. But you need to know it, and you need to know it because of this. He's saying we need the gospel because the wrath of God is being revealed against those things, ungodliness, unrighteousness. And by our unrighteousness, we are actually and actively suppressing the truth. We are holding the truth down. Why do you need to be saved? Why do you need Jesus Christ? It is because of this, because you and I are actively involved in the suppression of the truth about God. And you say, you know, I kind of like God. I grew up in church. I did all these things. No, what the Apostle Paul says is, is this. The gospel is for people that know and understand that God's wrath is coming, that they deserve it because they have actively suppressed the truth. Every single one of us is a liar. Every single one of us wants to dispense with the truth about God. You want to know why you don't love Jesus? You want to know why you don't have this propensity to tell people about Jesus Christ? Or when you don't feel like that? It's because you don't understand the fact that Jesus had to save you and me from the suppression of the truth, from our unrighteousness. In fact, in an ongoing way. He's still saving me. 
I sin, he still saves me. That's the beauty of the gospel. The wrath of God would be impending upon me, but Jesus stood in my place. He took my punishment. Let me go on. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Men and women, what can be known about God is plain to you and to me. If you walked in here today and you say, I'm not a believer, I don't believe in anything, I'm, I'm doubting, I'm uh, whatever, whatever it is. What the scripture says is that you suppress the truth and that the existence of God is plain to you and that you and I actually suppress that reality. That's, that could be a very angering statement to you, but I, I just need to tell you what the scripture says because God has shown it to them. God has already shown you the reality of who he is. How? Verse 20. For his invisible attributes, the things about God that are invisible. Well, if I can't see them, then how do I know that they're there? Well, you can't see them. Just look at it. Namely, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly perceived. His power is perceived in our world clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. When God looks at humanity, when God looks at all of humanity throughout all of time forever, what he says is this, is he says, I have given them a witness about who I am. You cannot walk in this world. You cannot breathe in this world without perceiving the reality of my eternal power, the reality of my divine nature, God says to you, and what he says is this, it is clearly perceived, and you and I suppress that truth. Every person in this world suppresses that truth. And they are, and you, you and I are, without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, Although we, we know that God exists. Now, this is talking about from the creation of the world. And so you can look all the way back to Adam and Eve. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God. How did Adam and Eve not honor him as God? They said, God does not know best. I know best. The serpent knows best. I'll be like God, knowing good and evil, if I disobey God. If I live against him. Then, therefore, I will have real life. And so instead of honoring him and believing him, they decided to dishonor him. They wanted glory for themselves. Ultimately, what's going on is this, is that we sin against God by constantly dishonoring him, by suppressing the truth about him, and by ultimately stealing his glory. It says, or give thanks to him. We don't honor him as God, and then we don't give thanks to him. We don't thank God for the gifts that we have. We don't thank God for the things that he has uh, done in our lives, for the, his creation. We don't thank God for the, the, the job that we have, the abilities that we have. And instead, you know what happens? We take responsibility for those things. Every single one of us at some point in this room has had a sense of pride over something that we have done and we have taken credit for the things that we have done. We have taken credit for those things. And so instead of thanking God for what he's given us, we take credit. We steal his glory. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. 
What happens is this, is that every single one of us is born with this propensity. And as a result, what takes place is this, is that our thinking becomes futile, our hearts become darkened, and so we begin to live like this. And so it says in verse 22, claiming to be wise, they, who's they? Humanity from the beginning, me and you, became fools. We're foolish people. We may think of ourselves as wise. We may think of ourselves as people that have it all together. But the truth is what the scripture says about you and I is that we're fools. We are foolish and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Instead of taking the glory that comes from God that he gives to us as image bearers, we go after it ourselves. And, and instead of getting true glory from God, what we do is we go after a fake glory. And so we begin to look at images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy th creeping things. Now, what is that talking about? It's talking about this. It's talking about idolatry. It's taking the things that God has created and making them ultimate in our life. It's taking the things that you and I believe uh, are the greatest thing ever, and we, and we say, you know what, this is my new God. That's what they did in Old Testament times. That's what we do today. We just don't call them idols. We call them cars and careers. We call them sex. We call them family. We call them whatever it is you fill in the blank. We call them those things. And we ultimately and finally try to find our glory in these things, these gifts, these abilities. We ultimately and finally do that. Now, before you, th you think, you know, I, I don't have any idols in my life. Well, let me ask you this. Do you have a sense of the love of God for you? So much so that you begin to speak the gospel. Speaking the gospel comes out of an overflow of your experience of the love of God, even though you've exchanged the truth about God, even though you've suppressed the truth, I got to keep going here. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The wrath of God is revealed in this. God gives us what we want. God oftentimes gives us exactly what we're looking for. You don't want me. You want to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the created thing rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. I'll let you have that. Now, if you look at Romans 1, and the only thing that you can do is point the finger at other people, you will never be able to share the gospel in its reality. If you've never understood the reality of the fact that you and I are suppressing the truth, exchanging the truth about God for a lie, if you've never experienced that, then you, can, you cannot share the true gospel. And what you need to do is you need to walk through Romans 1 and you need to know the full story. It's like going to a doctor and the doctor not telling you what's really going on. 
It's not helpful if I don't give you the full diagnosis. It is not helpful for me not to tell you that you are about to die from some type of ailment. It is not helpful. It may make you feel better, but you're still going to die. If I tell you the truth, then maybe you'll get treatment. If I tell you the truth, you have to believe the truth about the ailment that you have. And the ailment that you and I have is suppression of the truth, the truth about God. And so you must walk through Romans 1, and you must implicate yourself and ask yourself, how do I do this on a regular basis in my own life? Where am I suppressing the truth about God's goodness, about God's graciousness? God is not gracious enough for me. Therefore, I can't be open. God is not good enough. And so I have to find goodness in money, sex, and power, and career, and family, and kids, and in, in, in a relationship, and ultimately getting married. How do I do this on a regular basis in, in my life? You have to ask yourself, where was I before Christ? And am I currently seeking to find glory in created things rather than the Creator? A girl, a guy, a career, a family, a car, a kids. Where have I exchanged the truth about God for a lie? What am I worshiping and serving rather than the Creator? And oftentimes it comes down to, I want approval. I want comfort. I want security. I want control. And so I'm worshiping and I'm serving those idolatrous things. But when we come to this point where we say that this is the truth about me, then we can go back to the gospel and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. I get a righteousness from God. He takes all of that stuff, all that suppression, all that worship of things that have nothing to do with him, and he gives me his righteousness. And then I can exclaim along with Ephesians 2, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made me alive with Christ. Men and women, part of the reason why you don't experience the love of God, part of the reason why you don't want to tell people about Jesus is you don't think you've been saved from anything. And I don't think I've been saved from anything. I think I'm okay. Occasionally attending church. I think I'm okay coming with my hands out to the church as a purveyor of goods and services and saying, serve me, serve me, serve me. This is an epidemic in our world, in our, in our country, I should say. And instead of going to God and saying, I cannot believe that you would save me now. You can't share something that you don't have. You can't share something that you don't possess. He can't take anybody where you haven't been. Your gospel presentation will fall flat on its face. And I'm here to tell you, there's no such thing as some type of rote gospel presentation that seems to work with every single person. There's no right, uh, there is a right way to do it. There are elements of it. But there is not a right method to sharing those elements, I should say. It first has to be true to you in your heart. You have to have experienced the love of Jesus Christ having saved you from the wrath of God by the grace of God through Jesus going to the cross. And then you can have a conversation with someone. 
So this is what I do. I love to have people over my house. We built a house so that we could have people over. And I love to have people over, and I love to sit and hopefully someday get to the gospel with them. But I don't lead with that. I lead with lots of steak. <laughs> and a little bit of whiskey, maybe. Maybe a beer. I don't know. There's some other stuff like salad and stuff. But, uh, <laughs> and I love to invite people over, and I love to be a blessing to them. Why? Because I've been blessed in order to be a blessing. In the gospel, I've been blessed in order to be a blessing. In my home, I've been blessed in order to be a blessing. Me and my wife, my wife is amazing at hospitality. We love to have people over, and we love to sit and just hang out with them. And then sooner or later, as we sit there, what happens is this, is that they get comfortable enough, and they let their guard down, and they'll finally say, so what is it that you do? And I'm like, here we go. All right. Get to, get to get into it here. Now, I have a little bit of an advantage or a disadvantage, depending on how you look at that. There's other times where I'm like on a plane or in some type of circumstance, sometimes on the baseball field when I'm not me playing baseball. You know I'm not, that, I'm not a sport, sportsy guy, but uh, out there with other coaches or what have you. And they'll, and they'll say, so what? After I've asked them a million questions, so what is it that you do? I'm a pastor of a church. Oh. Look, there's a ball. <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh, that was so awkward. Oh my gosh. And then I love to sit and I love to talk. And I love to think about Romans 1. And I think about their life and I think about what's going on in their life. And I and I think to myself, where are they suppressing the truth about God? Do they know the truth about God? Do, do they express that they believe that God exists? Do they believe that Jesus exists, existed as a human on earth and continues to exist? What, what I, I begin to think through Romans 1, and, 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 I, and I start to think, uh, think about that, and then I begin to ask them questions in my mind that I've already asked myself. Like, where is this person seeking to find glory in created things rather than the Creator? I mean, that's not memorized. That's not wrote. It's just I, I just start to think, where is this person's God? What's the God in their life? And by the way, even those of you who are believers, I'm, I'm thinking about that for you as well. When you come and you say, my marriage stinks. When you come and you say, I'm, I'm dealing with this problem in my life. When you come and you say, I'm like, everything's a disaster. I begin to think to myself, where is this person seeking to find glory in created things rather than the creator? Now, it may not be any of those things. You may just be hurting because someone died. Or you may be hurting because something's going on. But ultimately, when I'm trying to share the gospel, I'm trying to find where is this person worshiping and serving the created thing over the creator? And then I begin to find in my story, where does my story coincide with their story? Like their story is like, hey, I grew up in, in church and I hated it because of this. And I, and I think to myself, yeah, there's things about church that I didn't like as a kid. And I got to this point where I, got, where I had to finally figure out, like, is this mine or is this my parents? Or they say, you know what, I had a really difficult childhood and I dropped out of school and I did this and I did that. And I say, you know what, I dropped out of school. 
And I, and I, and I got involved in drugs and, and alcohol and all of that. And so I find, where does my story coincide with their story? Where, did, where was I seeking for, to find glory in the created thing rather than the creator? And then I, I, I relate with them. And I talk with them. And then I think, okay, where have they exchanged the truth about God for a lie? What's the lie that they're believing? The lie that they're believing is that what I ultimately need is a new marriage. What I ultimately need is to find a relationship, to find a wife or a husband. That's the truth that they're believing. What they ultimately need, the truth actually is that they need God through Jesus Christ on the cross. This is the lie that they're believing that they actually need a better marriage, that they actually need their wife or their husband to do what they want them to do instead of believing the truth about God. And then what are they worshiping and serving rather than the Creator? They're bowing down to this. What are they bowing down to? And that dictates how I bring the truth to them about who Jesus Christ is. Because I don't think there is one way to do that. I want to bring the truth about Jesus to their situation and their context and their place. But I cannot do that. And you cannot do that if you do not know it for yourself. If you are not motivated by the love of Christ for you, in spite of the wrath of God that is impending upon your life, if you do not know the love of Christ for you and all of the ways that Jesus has forgiven you and all the ways that you have worshipped and served the created thing rather than the creator, you cannot share the gospel. You cannot take someone somewhere you have not been yourself. And so as we're talking about speak, you'll notice that it just sends us right back to love Jesus. And loving his story. How does Jesus fulfill all the things that I need? How does Jesus become my object of worship rather than the created thing? Because Jesus is the one who went to the cross for me. Jesus is the one who was crucified in my place. And, it, and, and he did this for my sake. And so as a result, I get to live and serve Jesus. And serve others with the ministry of reconciliation. Don't you see, you are a minister of reconciliation. You might be good at it or you might be bad at it, but you are a minister of reconciliation. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, may we uh, recognize that you have given us an amazing ministry. And that, Lord, when we get to a place where we are impassioned by what you have done for us, when we get to a place of the, just being motivated by it, that, Lord, there is just, it's limitless in so many ways that we get to bring reconciliation. It's, it's, it's craziness that we even get this responsibility or this privilege to bring people into the family of God by the power of your spirit. Lord, you working on the hearts of men and women that you have gone before us 
and you are working on their hearts to convict. Lord, it is a privilege to have even just a small part in doing this. Lord, give us the humility to be able to understand where we were, where we are before your salvation. And Lord, allow us to revel in your love for us that you've shown us on the cross. It's in your name we pray. Amen.